Is it working? No? Am I, am I on? So let's rewind. I'm mad at Chris House because the last few weeks I, I, I've been having a hard time with my voice during preaching. It's, it gives out on me, and I realize it's because I'm just I'm worshiping too hard, you know? So I came in tonight, and I said, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to worship, but, but, but silent, right? I'm not going to sing as loud, and I'm just I'm going to save myself for this message. And we got to that last song. I got nothing left. I'm just telling you right now. So I'm just, I got nothing left. Was that not amazing, that moment of God's presence? Come on, I know. So rich, so rich, so rich. It just, you know, that's just, a, it's a great tie-in for our welcome weekend, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But, but this idea of psalmic worship, a place of expression, which you read about all in the, the book of Psalms, that that's such an important part of who we are as a church, to be awakened to his presence through the worship that we're invited into by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, hey, I've got a few giveaways I want to do. Paul, did you have a birthday? Was yesterday your birthday? Thursday, Thursday was your birthday. You had a birthday this week. All right, so we'll do a little giveaway here. For Paul, for happy birthday. He turned 29. 29. All right. So, and then I've got another one here. I've got some, some, some four $1 bills for the bake sale. I'm going to give these to Tyler since he's a poor college student and uh, he's home for break so he can get some chocolate covered bacon. And then I have, I have one more. I don't know if he has one of these. Jonathan Adams, do you have a City Life car magnet? All right, I'm going to give you this because he actually drove a real NASCAR at Richmond Raceway this weekend. So, I know. It's, I mean, real. He sent me a picture. I was like, was that you in the car? Yes. Were you driving it? Yes. Was anybody in the car with you? No. No, he was driving by himself a race car on the track. I know. You, it's an amazing story. You should hear it. In fact, I'm just not even going to preach. He's going to come up and tell his story. All right. Okay, it's not that good. I'm just kidding. It's not that good. It's just... So hey, we we are doing a, a welcome weekend. We're we're you know we're in our in our series called Super, and we're just kind of putting that on on pause for uh, for tonight. I, I love these welcome weekends because it's an opportunity for us to talk to people who are really praying about City Life becoming their their home church. And so so we we do these throughout the year, but it's not just for people who are visiting. It's a great opportunity for those of us who already call City Life our home to just be reminded why we love our church, to talk about our vision and what we feel like God has called us to. And so tonight we're going to be talking a lot about our 2020 vision and, and, and where, where we are with that and where we're, we're, we're continuing to believe God's going to take us into that. And then we're going to also just share tonight, I'm going to share just a lot about the, the journey of our own family, where we've been over the last seven years with this, this journey with, with, uh, with Chinese drywall that we've, we've told pieces of it, but we've never told it from start to finish. And I'm going to do that tonight. And you're going to see how that all connects back into our welcome weekend and our, our 2020 vision. But just to give you a little picture of where we're going over the next three weeks here at the Newport News Campus. And then uh, we're going to be doing some of these. And then Pastor Jamie's going to be doing some diff- a couple of different ones in the Williamsburg Campus. But uh, here over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to do uh, overjudging as we're going to do next week. Uh, you know, all of our, we did overeating, overspending, oversexing. And so this idea that God has given us a capacity for excess, but it's misplaced. And, and, and so we're going to talk about overjudging. And, because the Bible doesn't say that we should not judge. In fact, it says just the opposite. We're just supposed to do 
do it in the right way, in the right reasons, in the right settings. And so we're going to talk about that, about this idea of overjudging. The week after that, we're going to do overstriving. This idea, do we have to work hard in the kingdom? We absolutely have to work hard. Love what Marvin was teaching on last night at the Truth Weekend. There's labor involved in our Christianity, but then understanding when we've gone too far in our labor and we've kind of begun to take on the work of God. So we're going to talk about overstriving, and then we're going to wrap up with over-resenting in the series. Because you know what? We are supposed to resent at times. We are supposed to be offended at times. It means that you have a healthy heart when you recognize that someone has harmed you in a way. It's what you do after that where we often get sideways. And so that's just where we're going to be going over the next three weeks, just to put a little plug in for that. And then also for the next three weeks, which is part of our welcome weekend, is that people who are asking questions about city life, and and maybe you're thinking about making a commitment here, that during the sermon time slot over the next three weeks, uh, Vanessa, my wife, is going to be doing a class. It's called Discovering City Life, and that you're going to be able to do that. And we've overlaid that into our weekend service so that there's child care already here for you. You don't have to come out an extra night. And, uh, and so we've just found great success in folding that into our service. And so if that's you, then there's going to be an opportunity for the next three weeks where you'll be dismissed during the, uh, during the greet time. And then you can check into that class. And then we've got a lot of information we want to give to you and to share with you. So All right, let me read out of 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Uh, this is, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, and then he says, united in thought and purpose. I want to read that part again. United in thought and purpose. And so last summer when we were on, on vacation, and if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you've maybe heard little pieces of the story, but we were on vacation and, and, and I was sitting in one of those nice, comfortable right, OBX Adirondack chairs and I'm overlooking the sound and it's early one morning and I'm, I'm reading the Bible and, and, and I'm here in 1 Corinthians and I get to this part of the verse and, and, and when I came across this part about united in thought and purpose of one mind and one purpose, I, I felt like God spoke to me there. And it's easy to hear from God in places like that, right? And so I felt like God spoke to me and said, Fred, I want to talk to you about the purpose of the City Life Church. And I said, well, I'm going to be here all week, God, so I got time. I got time. And so God just took me on a journey that week of, of really just understanding that what Paul's talking about here is vision. And then in order for a church to have a full vision and a complete vision, there needs to be a message component and a mission component. And God really began to speak to me and to challenge me that as a church, we have a message that he's given to us. It's our message, heaven now, heaven forever. It's been a part of our church for a long time. It's a distinctive of who we are, that we believe that eternal life isn't just measured in time, but it's supposed to be measured in depth, that we don't have to begin, wait to experience eternal life after we die, but we experience eternal life now, that there's a measure of heaven that we can experience in this life, it's Psalm 27, 13, where the psalmist writes, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's John 10, 10, which is a verse that God used to capture my heart when I was 23 to make a vow of devotion to Christ. It's when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. This is the message of our church, that Jesus wants to lead you into a life that is full and deep and amazing and wonderful. And the only way to describe it is that it is eternal. And then when we breathe our last, we just keep going into more and to better. 
And, and so we've been preaching this message, teaching this message year in and year out, and it has captured people's hearts. It's changed people's lives. It's people that have, have, have come in with a, a view of Christianity that's more monastic, and I just have to suffer if it is that we've begun to liberate those people. Not that there's not hardship. I'm going to be talking about that in our own journey tonight, but it's like what Jew said, when we're in hardship, we know the end of the story. There's a victory that's waiting for us. But when I came back from vacation, I really began to talk to the the governance team that, hey, I feel like God is challenging us to really hone in on a mission, that God has something for us to do. And, and, and what I felt like God spoke to me is that part of our mission needed to be being more uh, intentional about bringing our message to our region. And part of that also meant that we needed to prepare the next generation that one day when we're not able to do it anymore because we're a little bit older and a lot more decrepit, we need the Joshua generation that's coming behind us to be ready to take the message that God has given us that they've got to step in and carry it forward, which is the whole birthing of the idea of the internship program, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But the other part of that was that I felt like, and then the governance team really resonated with it, and then we took it to all the other leaders, and if you were here for our anniversary service in January, it's what we, we, we launched what we're calling our 2020 vision, which is both a message and a mission. It's this message, heaven now and heaven forever, and that there is a mission internship and a mission Southside campus. That's our focus this year. And then for, for, we're calling it the 2020 vision because over the next six years, what we're committed to is developing that internship program into a school, and that we're going to plan as many campuses as we can over the next six years, and we're going to start on the south side. And so that's just to give you a, a little snapshot of if you're here checking us out, who we are and what we're about. We feel like that God has given us to some insight into how discipleship works. And that's going to be a huge part of the class that you're going to do. If you're checking out the church, again, make it a commitment to come over the next three weeks in a row, the one, the six, and the 12, and the 24. You're going to learn about what those numbers mean and why it's a, it, there needs to be a a strategy that you're employing in your own life if you're going to grow and mature as a follower of Christ. If you're just thinking, I hope it happens, it's not going to happen. There's things that God has given you to do. There's work to be done. God's going to do his part, but he's not going to do our part on our behalf. So let me just talk a little bit about the internship a little bit more. Uh, Vanessa talked about it some. Uh, it is a nine-month internship program, and, 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 and she, she mentioned this idea. I'm calling it a full-plate concept. Because Christian leadership requires you, it makes a demand of you to be able to carry a full plate in your life. And, and one of the greatest challenges that people face in leadership, it, it's not actually leading the ministry that God calls them to lead. It's managing all the demands in life and still being healthy without fracturing. It's being able to lead something, but your marriage still thriving, your relationship with your kids still thriving, them thriving. It's part of Christian leadership that is a struggle for people is the ability to manage so many things going on at one time and still do it all with excellence. And so our program is designed to expose people to that, expose young people to that. When, when you're young, you have the freedom to kind of focus on one thing at a time. And as you become an adult and transition into adulthood, you begin to realize that, that, that part of life is having lots of things going on at one time. And leadership puts an intense pressure on your life. And so the, the, the program is designed to, to, to walk 
walk you through a, a time and a season to, to test that in you and then to also be supported in it and so that you can learn and grow. And there's going to be a mentorship aspect to this, uh, this internship program. That There's people that we're talking to here in the church that have a lot of life experience. There's Christian maturity in their life, and you're going to be connected up with them that's outside of the internship program, and you're going to have this relationship of this person that's going to be able to speak into your life. The four tracks are Bible and leadership and life skills and discipleship, and several of us are owning different parts of those tracks. I'm telling you, it's going to be absolutely amazing. There's a table out there. There's applications. you got to be 18 to 30 this first year. We're going to broaden that out as the program moves forward. Eventually, our hope is that some of the classes we will begin to open up for anybody to attend, even if you're not in the internship program, and that's how we're going to plan to begin to fold in some Christian education into our church experience. So we're just excited about where that's going and how that's going to be. You're going to have exposure to all the different ministries of City Life. You're going to go on two missions trips, one to New York School of Urban Ministry and one to the Dominican Republic. And you might be thinking, why are you spending so much time talking on this when so many of us are not 18 to 30? Because you know 18 to 30-year-olds who need to be in it, and you should be talking to them about it. And for some of you right now, you had a name that came in your mind. You should pick up an application, and you can take it to them, right? All right, come on, just saying, just saying. All right. All right, let me give you a couple more things about this, and then we're going to go to the, talk about the Southside campus. There's going to be a heavy dose, a heavy dose of helping to pull off our weekend services, and then there, there's also going to be a heavy dose of working uh, with our, our Revolution Church, with our middle school and high school students. The reason for that, let me tell you, the reason for that is that we want to instill in these young Christian leaders a passion to raise up the next generation. Because that's what we're doing for them. They need to be doing it for the generation that comes after them. And that's why so many churches get to a place long later into their life where they're ready to turn their church over and there's no one there to turn their church over to because they've never made them a priority before. And so we make our young people a priority right from the beginning. And so that the point where we're ready to pass this thing off, they're ready to take it and then we've instilled in them that practice and it's going to keep happening until Jesus comes back. All right. So let's talk about the Southside campus a little bit. So the Southside campus, you know that Justin in 70, when Juice was up there doing the wrap-up, I looked at Vanessa and I said, he should really be a campus pastor or something. Right? I mean, he's good in these moments, right? So you know Juice and Stephanie are going to be our Southside campus pastors. Uh, I know you, you should be clapping for that. going to be our Southside campus pastors. We're hoping this summer we've got great plans for where student ministry is going, who's going to be leading that. We know who that's going to be. We can't talk about that yet because they have a job now outside of the church, and so we don't want to put them in a precarious place. And so uh, we're hoping this summer uh, that we're going to be able to talk to you about who that's going to be. And when we do, you're going to be so excited about who that's going to be. Just it, everything about this transition is going to be amazing for every area of the church. And that's part of our commitment, right, that one ministry doesn't have to suffer when new ministries come in is that everybody moves forward. And I think that's one of the ways that you know that God is a part of it. And so it's going to be in the Carrollton, North Suffolk type area. It's kind of going to be the region that we're, we're looking for. It's going to be a Saturday night campus. And so we believe that God's going to open up a relationship like what we have here for us to be able to go into a church and begin to work with them. And so we're still praying it. We don't know where that's going to be yet, but we know that God knows and we're asking you to join us in praying about that. That we know when we talk to the right people, they're going to be excited about about it. We're going to be excited about it. And our intended launch date is the anniversary service of January 2016. All right, so let me share this email that came in this week. 
This comes from, we got their permission to read it. They were going to come do it, but they had to actually go out of town. It's a family that's newer to the church. It's Chris and Melissa Davidson. And she writes, this is, she sends this to Vanessa. Happy Mother's Day. She sent it last Sunday. I hope you had a wonderful day with your family. I, I tried to catch you before we left last night. This was because, you know, Vanessa preached for the Mother's Day weekend. Uh, but that's why all the kids are still crying in the nursery, because they got in there and, they, and we're not there today. So I mean, numbers are going to be popping up. I'm sure they already are, but they're like, where's Pastor Fred? Where is he? All right. Just kidding. They're like, they were so relieved. Thank God there's women in the nursery again, right? Okay. All right. So, so she said, I wanted to, to, to tell you that you did such an awesome job last night and, and that your message absolutely touched my heart. I just wanted to run up and give you a hug. See, no one's ever sent that to me and you shouldn't because that would make me uncomfortable. All right. She, she writes, fear, as you know, because she's been talking a lot about her journey, the kind of church that she grew up in. It was, it was very uh, controlling. It was very fear-based. It was very rule-based. There was a lot of this, I don't want to get in trouble. And, and, and so what God's doing in her life to break her free from that. So, and, and then she said, and guilt are the two things that seem to rob me. And she said, and I think that happens to a lot of moms for sure. She says, and being the best mother I can be and to be full of joy of motherhood in it, she said, it's just hard sometimes. It is truly through the class, because they just took the parenting class that we do every year, it's truly through the class that we just took with you, the encouragement of the teachings that, that, that you and Fred give each week, and my increasing time spent in reading God's Word have been helping me to work through and start to overcome these strongholds. Right? It's the serpent's bite that Sharon was talking about. It's just incredible. Listen to what she says. I can literally feel God working in my heart. Anyway, she said, I just wanted to thank you. And then she says a lot of nice things about the church again. So, all right. Why am I reading that to you? Because we believe that God is calling us to plant these campuses because there are Chris and Melissa Davidsons all over this region who need this message that this church has. Is everybody supposed to be a part of the City Life Church? Of course they are. No, they're not. No, they're not. And we, tell you, we talk about that all the time. You hear us say all the time. If you're checking us out and we're not the church that you feel that, that, that God's speaking to you or, or there's something here that you don't resonate with, tell us that and tell us what you're looking for. We'll give you a list of churches to check out. Our hope is that we want this region to just have no spiritual orphans, that everybody's going to be in the church that God has called them to be a part of. But there are people in this region who are supposed to be a part of the City Life Church because they need the message that God has given to us. Every church has a unique message. Every church has something that they bring to the table that people in that community need. And Chris and Melissa Davidson were supposed to be a part of this church because there was something about our message that was going to begin to work in their heart because they were in the place that God called them to be. And we feel like that God is saying, hey, give the work of your life to planning these campuses as long as you have breath and as long as you're physically able because there are people that need to be set free. There are people who have never made a vow of devotion to Christ that need the liberty that Christ is going to bring. There are people right now that have been wounded by the church. They love Jesus. They're going to heaven, but they're living their lives as spiritual orphans, and they need the community that this church can bring. And there are people out here in this peninsula, they've just moved to the area. It might be military. It might be their job brought them here, and, and they've been walking with Christ from pre-birth. Are you with me? They were born 
born saved, those, right? They're, they've just been loving Jesus forever. And you know what? They need a church that they can call home, and they need a church that's going to challenge them to a place of maturity that they've not reached yet. All of this is part of the message of the City Life Church. And we're saying, hey, we want to take our church, whatever it takes, the money that it's going to take, the energy that has to be expended, and that we want to reach the people that God has called us to reach. At some point, we didn't know who Chris and Melissa Davidson were. At some point, at some point, they didn't know who we were, but someone invited them, and now their life is changing, and that's got to keep happening more and more and more in every, in every region that many people who call City Life Church home call home now, but they have to go somewhere else to find that church. And so we want to say to the Southside people, they've been driving faithfully all these years, Then now they're going to say, come to a church in our own community. And then at some point, the Southside campus is going to grow. They're going to plant campuses. Williamsburg is going to get to a place where they're planting campuses. Newport News is going to continue to plant campuses. This is going to be part of who we are as a church forever. All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit tonight out of a story. I love this story. I knew we wanted to share our story, but I've really been praying over the last month, say, God, God I want a story in the Bible that, that we can fold our story into because this is part of our welcome weekend. We have a love for the text. We have a love for the richness of God's Word. We, we have a love for, 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 for this book and, and, and everything that's in it. And so I've been praying and said, God, give, I want a story that's out of your Word that can fold into our story, that's going to fold into this moment. And so I know this story that we're going to share together. It's a prophetic moment for us as a church. So this is something that God says, you tell this story as part of your story, and it's going to become part of the story of the church. So 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now, while you're turning there, while you're turning there, I just wanted to let you know when we're telling our story, we're going to share some details of some numbers with you. Now, now, for some of you, that might make you uncomfortable because you've been taught your whole life out of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about to, 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 to not ever let your, your giving be, be a public thing. But you have to remember that Jesus was talking to a group of people who the reason why they made their giving a public thing was because they were trying to draw attention to themselves. And so the prohibition is not against being public with certain numbers at certain times. The prohibition is don't have the wrong motivation in doing doing it. If we took the Sermon on the Mount and applied the same principle with giving that people have been taught to live by with everything else that the Sermon on the Mount teaches, that everything about Christianity would be in private. You would never pray publicly, but Jesus prayed publicly all the time. In fact, there's this really funny story of Jesus standing at an offering moment at their temple, which is what they had. They didn't have church, but they had a temple. Standing by the giving basket, giving commentary actively to the crowd about what people were giving. I'm doing that next week. No, just kidding, right? So, right? So, so don't, don't read the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh, don't ever talk about numbers. No, no, no. You've got to understand the Bible in light of itself. And I'm just saying, when we share numbers tonight, it's not because we're trying to put attention on us. We're putting glory in the story, right? Glory in the story is that sometimes the numbers are important so you can see the bigness of who God is in the moment, in the moment. All right. All right, so 1 Samuel 30, just to give you a little background, it's been 20 years, 20 years since David was anointed as king. 
Right? So David's a young boy. He's a teenager. He's a shepherd. Samuel the prophet finds him, anoints him to be the next king. It's been 20 years, and it's not happened yet. In fact, not only has it not happened, his situation has gotten worse. Right? There's an anointing that's on his life. There's this call of God on his life. There's a supernatural equipping that comes with this calling. He kills this giant called Goliath. Everybody is singing praises. The whole nation is giving their allegiance to him. He's part of the king's court. He's one of the most influential people in the nation. He's just a young adult. He hasn't even been through the Praxis 9 internship program yet, right? And and all of a sudden, Saul begins to get a little nervous. In fact, you could say Saul begins to get jealous. And all of a sudden, right, it's the bite of the serpent again that Sharon was talking about. All of a sudden, this nervousness and jealousy becomes paranoia right out of the pit of hell and Saul goes on this campaign to actually kill David even though he was his son's best friend even though he knew that David was anointed and called by God to be his successor he's been ostracized he's been kicked out of the kingdom he's been told he can't live there he's living in caves and he's going from place to place wherever you can find safety 20 years have gone by David is one of the most incredible stories of perseverance and faith in scripture. It's one of the most beautiful stories about how to not overstrive that you will find in all of scripture. If anybody had a right and a sense of entitlement to say, this is mine, God gave it to me, it would have been David, yet he did not because he trusted in the sovereignty of his God. 20 years he's been waiting. He's actually living amongst Israel's greatest enemies, the Philistines. And can I, let me just, let's put, it in cult, let's put it in modern day terms. It would be as if, as an American and as a patriot, you began to live amongst ISIS in the Middle East because that's the only place that you could find acceptance. That's what's happening right here. Yeah, it's hard to think of that, isn't it? But that's exactly, the Philistines were the arch enemy of the Israelites, and that's the only place where David could find to make his home. And so now the Philistines are drawing up their battle lines against Saul and his army, and David has aligned himself with a local Philistine king. And because he's aligned himself with this king, he has a sense of responsibility to stand with this king. The Bible does not tell us anything about the conversation that David would have had with his men or with this king. We're not told that. That's, right, that's just on my conversation list when I get to heaven. Tell me about how you, what happened where you actually talked all of your warriors to go to battle against their brethren. Right? But they do. They, they suit up. They get on their horses and they go out as one of the regiments of this Philistine army as Israelites. When they get to the battle lines, all the other Philistine kings say, we don't want David and his men in this fight with us. Because when this battle breaks loose, we don't know if they're going to turn on us and join with the Israelites and conquer us. And so David and all of his men were sent home. When they get home, they realized that the Amalekites, which was another enemy group, 
in the Middle East had come through, which was often what happened. They would know these smaller countries, these raiding parties, when the, when the more powerful nations would go to war, they would know the warriors would leave, and then they would come and sweep through, and, and they would conquer and pillage, and they went right through Ziklag, which was David's city that was given to him by this Philistine king, and they had taken everything, every child, every spouse, every person. They come into their city. It's absolutely empty. They had taken all the livestock. They had taken all the wealth. Every, everything was gone. Verse 1, three days later when David and his men arrived home, it took them three days to get back from the front lines. At their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the, the Negev, into Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground, and they carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but not killing anyone. And when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept. They wept until they could weep no more. Anybody ever wept like that before? You're doing what you feel like God's called you to do. You're trying to be faithful. You're trying to live right. And you feel like you're, you're making all the right choice, choices. And, and, and sometimes it's in those moments that the greatest tragedies strike. Here are all of these men, these hardened warriors, weeping until they can weep no more. So in 2007, we moved here from Mechanicsville, where we were living, had been a part of the church there for 17 years on staff. For eight, we thought we were going to be there forever. It kind of took us off guard when God began to speak to us about a change. And so it took us about a year to kind of wrap our heart and our mind around this idea of a transition. But we knew God was in it. We came, and, uh, and, and that was back when we were in the Regal Cinema, and uh, on, uh, back before when we still met on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and so we would set up and tear down and have in church, and, and, uh, and we bought a townhome off of Denby Boulevard, and we put our whole life savings, our whole life savings to buy that townhome, $40,000. We were all in. We knew God was calling us here. We just, we went all in from day one. We, we knew we were going to, there's a lifetime of ministry to do here, and we weren't going anywhere once we arrived. And so we came, and, uh, and we just began to invest our life in ministry here. Many of you were there in that movie theater, come on, back in the day. And uh, it was about six months in that, that all of a sudden I began to experience terrible health problems. I was a picture of health. I swam multiple miles every week. I ran and worked out, and then I just developed uh, signs like what you would experience with lupus, with chronic pain and fatigue. Uh, we all began to experience nosebleeds, uh, dry eyes. Uh, one of our children began to develop a, a skin disorder, which they diagnosed as eczema, and uh, with allergies. It was just worse than it had ever been before, and we just couldn't figure out. You know, maybe it's just we're not used to the climate here. I'm like, but come on, we came from Richmond, really? I mean, it's not like we, we moved halfway across the world and so but we could not figure it out and so when you don't know you just keep you keep pushing through and so my situation was the one that was the worst and it kept getting worse but by by by, by the time we got to 2009 I was in physical therapy I was seeing a neuromuscular massage therapist I was in uh, chiropractic care and I was on heavy uh, doses of painkillers just to make it through every day I remember leaving a leaders meeting uh, that, 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 that summer. We were here in this building by then. And on the way home, I remember looking at Vanessa and saying, did I say anything odd in the meeting tonight? And she said, no, why would you ask? I said, because I don't remember anything about the meeting tonight. And, and I remember thinking, I cannot live my life this way. I, I cannot. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. And so and I remember that summer I was reading in, in, in God's word and I, and I got to Mark 10. Let me share this with you. Mark 10. Beginning of verse 29 and 30. 
Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now, will receive now, come on, heaven now, heaven forever, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and some of you are thinking, no, I don't want that blessing by a hundred times children. You can have that one. A hundred times. And property, along with persecution. He says, hey, it's, there's going to be hardship, but there's victory and blessing that will come. And in the, and in the world to come, he says, that person will have eternal life. It's, it, this is a hallmark text for our message and what we believe that God has called us to bring. And I, I kid you not, I'm not making any of this stuff up. Sometimes I do, but I'm not making it up tonight. No, I'm just kidding. A little bit. So, the, um, so I was reading, and, and I had this thought. As bad as my situation is, I had this thought. As bad as my situation is, I know I will never have to live in a place where I lose my house for some reason of persecution. I'd been to Niger, Africa on, on a mission trip that early that February, and, and we were uh, doing open-air evangelism, and, and, and people, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's a 98% uh, Muslim country. When people make a decision for Christ, oftentimes they lose their homes, they lose their jobs, they're kicked out of their families. Uh, churches have to take them in, or they will literally die. They will starve to death. And, you know, so I'm thinking about that as I'm reading this. And I'm thinking, you know what, my situation's bad, but, but I'm always going to have my home. And, and I think sometimes when we get to verses like this and we have thoughts like that, it's because God is trying to ease us into something else that's going to happen. See, don't, see some, some Christians, and this is, this is not good theology, will say, well, don't have thoughts like that because you bring that on yourself, right? As if the sovereignty of God is subject to us in any way. Can you just give me a break, right? In those moments when those things happen, and for me, I know now it was a lack of discernment, is that God was trying to say something to me. He was trying to say, Fred, I want you to know you think your situation's bad. Oh, it's going to get a lot worse in just a couple of months. And so something began to, to a realization in our neighborhood. We knew something was wrong. Now, half of the houses in our neighborhood had no problems, but half were having lots of problems and some more than others. Air conditioning units were failing. TVs were going bad. Our air conditioner unit had just failed. It was a brand new home two years ago. And, and we knew just something wasn't right, right? Are we, did they build this thing on an Indian burial ground, right? You're thinking of the, all these movies that you've seen. You're just looking for some explanation, right? What's happening to us? And then all of a sudden, we get a letter through our homeowners association from an attorney in Norfolk, Richard Serpy, who said, I want to do a community meeting. And he did it at the Mary Immaculate uh, Community Center. And he said, I want everybody in the neighborhood to come because I have some things that I think you need to hear. And, and that was the first time in my life I had heard the words Chinese drywall. And he began to tell the story, which I'm not going to tell tonight, about how there were homes in America that had built with this drywall that was toxic. And, and he began to give us the, the symptoms of, 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 of what it would be. And then he gave you a test that you could do. You could go home and turn off your circuit breaker and take off your outlet covers. And, and if your ground wire is, 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 is not the, the color of a bright copper penny, but it's, it's black as, as, say, asphalt or tar, you, you probably have toxic Chinese drywall. So we went home that night, put our kids to bed, Vanessa and I turned off a, a breaker in a certain room of the house, and I got a screwdriver. Uh, can I just tell you, you know you got to take that outlet cover off, but you don't want to. 
And we took that thing off, and there was our ground wire, and it was as dark as night. And Vanessa began to cry, and she wept until she could weep no more. You might say, how about you? I wanted to get my baseball bat and cause people to weep so they would weep no more. Now, praise the Lord, I wasn't into shooting like I am today, or I could be in jail right now. I could have been the launch of, of City Life's first prison ministry from the inside. Right? And so this is part. So when, I, when, I, when I'm teaching about over-resenting in a few weeks, I'm preaching out of my own life. Because there are times when people hurt you and you want to hurt them back. And Jesus calls us to live a different life. When people hurt your children, you tracking with me? And we are called to live a different life. We were out of that home in a couple of weeks. We went on vacation. The church loved on us. They moved us while we were gone, got us into an apartment. That began a five-year journey of living our life on the verge of bankruptcy. We owned this home that, that we owed $260,000 on, and, 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 and uh, it was worth nothing. Mortgage payments, homeowners association dues, upkeep, everybody wants to be paid, right? So for five years, we're just right on the verge, right on the verge. We've met with attorneys. We're ready to pull the trigger on bankrupt. We just, there's no alternative for us. We're holding out as long as we can. And, 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 and so back up just a little bit. That, that fall, soon after we learned that, that our whole, half of the houses in our neighborhood, this toxic Chinese drywall, that this attorney, Richard Serpy, uh, that they began to move forward because now they realized it was all down through the southern states. It's, it was this huge disaster in, in, in America that really did not get a lot of attention. And, and, so, and so they picked seven families in Virginia to go to, to trial for what they call a bellwether case that's going to set the standard for everything to come in the future. And we got picked by the grace of God to be one of those seven families. We became known as the Serpy Seven. So we spent a week down in New Orleans. It was like an episode of Law and Order. You're on the witness stand, right? They're prepping you. And, and so, and, and so we, we, we did all of that, and, and we won. There was a judgment that was, that was, that was uh, uh, given. The, the Chinese court, they didn't even show up, so they were in contempt of court. And, 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 and so there's this judgment that was served against this Chinese corporation. And that night in the hotel room, we're all excited, and, and our lawyer looked at us and said, I want you to know something here. In the history of U.S. relations with China, they have never paid a product liability suit ever. And we were all like, okay, we're not so excited anymore, right? But he said, but I believe that we have an opportunity to make history together. And, and all of a sudden in that room, there was just this glimmer of hope that ignited in our heart. And that's what we carried with us over those, these next five years of living on the verge of bankruptcy. And, I, and, and you know, for me, I kept coming back to that text. There's, there's going to be hardship. Mark 10, there's going to be persecution. But his promise to us is restoration beyond what you've lost. That's the promise. The hundred times, the number is not important. What, what's important is that he says to you and me, the restoration will be more 
It will be more. And I, I'm for five years, I, we pray that, declare that, believe that, talk to our children about it, right? We lived our life in the five years while we've been pastoring this church during those whole five years. We were just this whole other stream, a part of our life that was, so you want to know why we believe in this idea of a full plate, uh, uh, a full plate for, for the Praxis 9? We lived it, right? All of this, so many things, it's just tearing at you. So many things want your attention, but you, I'm telling you, you can thrive in all of it. You can thrive in all of it. So in 2012, we might get off the clock just a little bit, not too much, but so, so in, 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 in 2012, we, we knew that, there, that, that something had to happen, something had to break, and, uh, and so we said we, we're going to try to short sell our home. Uh, there was a what's called a federal remediation program was established through our case, which means that there was a, a federal standard for how homes could be fixed. So investors were showing up now, right, to buy these Chinese drywall homes. So we thought now we have a chance, right? And the people are doing it. They're being successful with it and buying these homes and flipping them. And so we thought maybe we have a chance to short sell our home. But this was all part of, right, there were all of these mortgages were bundled together. Remember mortgage-backed securities and how that was a huge part of the economy failing. And so it, short selling a home was terribly complicated because it was bundled in. With, with, with all of these other mortgages that investors, and so to take just one of those out, it was incredibly intricate. And the fact that it was they had to- toxic Chinese drywall, the mortgage company said it's never going to happen. The bank that was servicing our loan said it's never going to happen. And we just kept saying, you don't know our God, right? And so we worked and labored and called. It was a full-time job, calling the people that, finding out who our, whose desk our paperwork was on and just hounding them, right? In Jesus' name, hounding them. You know, day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out, day in and day out. And in the middle of this thing, in the middle of this thing, we, we did one of our very first Faith Promise campaigns. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And, and so we did our, one of our very first Faith Promise campaigns. And so for our Faith Promise that year, right, we're living on the verge of bankruptcy, right? We're, we're about ready, our whole, our whole finances are about ready to go in the tank. And so we, we, we did a Faith Promise for $1,000, $1,000, which might have been a million dollars to us then, right? Might have been a million. And this is what God said to me. Some of you have heard this story before. I kid you not. This is what God said to me. That's all you got faith for is $1,000? I said, God, I don't even have faith for 1000 Right? If you're asking me what I have faith for, I have faith for about $10, right? And, and, and so, I, but I knew God was challenging me. And so I said, all right, God, what should I have faith for? And he said, why don't you have faith for $5,000? And so I began to talk to Vanessa, and she asked me, how many pain pills have you taken today? And so, and, uh, and so, I, you know, and so I, I, I think we're supposed to do a faith promise for $5,000. And she said, well, we got nothing to lose, right? Because that's the beauty of faith promise. You don't put your name on it. And this is, right, this is what I tell you to do all the time. And now I don't want to do it, but that's what we do as preachers. And so, and, and so, so we did a faith promise for, we did a faith promise for $5,000. We turned it in. We said, God, we believe. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make it happen. So, so a couple of months later, our house, it, it sold. The short sale process went through, which, which that was a miracle unto itself. But we got out from under that thing. We got out from under that house in, in, in 2012. And then when we went to close, when we went to close, little did we know that there was a, because we had an FHA loan and because the economy was in the situation that it was in, they were giving people some money to help with their reestablishing their life. Now we knew that could happen. We didn't know how much it could be. And when we closed, we sold our house, right, for 70, about $75,000. We owed two sixty dollars on it. The bank forgave all the debt, forgave it all, forgave it all, and there was a law that was going to expire that year, that year, a law that was going to expire that year, that the debt forgiven would not be taxable income. 
So we didn't have to pay taxes on what was forgiven. We were free and clear, right? We were, we were doing the dance, right? We were doing the David Godwin right there, right? And the mortgage, the mortgage. And so they slide a check across the table to us for $4,000, $4,000. We could not give that money to the church fast enough. I didn't, we didn't want to touch it. We were like, can you just, I don't, can you just give that to the church on our app, right? And, and you know what I love about that story? It was for four and it was not for five. As if God was saying, you, you were going to do a thousand, so you're on your own. That's what you got to do. I did my part. I brought four to the table, Fred. You figure the rest out. You figure the rest out. So we gave that check. We told that, if you were here, we told that story, right? It was amazing. It was, it, it was an amazing experience. Just a couple of months ago, just a couple of months ago. All right, let me, let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. So we did Faith Promise last year. Right? So we skipped a couple of years, and, and, and we were trying to warm you up to this idea of faith promise. Right Now you're warmed up to it. We're doing it every year, so just get used to it. And so, Because these stories happen. Some, many of you have had your own faith promise stories already. We, we can't wait to begin to share them. It's, it's just amazing. And so when we did the faith promise this past year, we, we looked at each other and said, we can't go backwards, right? We can't, how do we go backwards? And so we, we did another one for $5,000. Now we knew some checks might start to trickle in because they were making some headway, with not with China, but with like liability policy policies for the, the installers, but just, just small little chunks like that. And so we knew something could come in. But what we did not know that how much was going to come in. But by the fall, within a year's time, the, the entire $40,000, which that was our prayer. God, we just, if you could just restore our down payment so we could start over, right? And so, and then you can't buy a house in, until two years after a short sale. And so we got to our two-year mark, which was this past summer, this past summer. We hit that two-year mark. We bought the house that we're in now. We borrowed the money out of our IRA, out of our retirement to be able to do the down payment. And what we did not know, the checks that were going to come in, was it around November? Around November. That it made, it made our down payment that we had lost completely whole. And then some over the top. We were able to put all the money back into our retirement account that we were lost. And we were able to do a check for 5000 for our faith promise. That was we're like, right, we're like, come on. Come on. Just a couple of months ago, just a couple of months ago, we got a call from, our, from uh, the, the paralegal in the office and said, Richard wants to set up a conference call with, with the Serpy 7. And so we said, all right. And so, uh, you know, they give you the number to dial and the passcode to, to key in. And, and I kid you not, this is, this is how he starts the conversation. You know, is everybody there? Yeah. So we go through the, and he says, they're going to pay. Like, what do you mean? China's going to pay. We're like, what? What do you mean China's going to pay? And then he went through this whole story, which is, it's been in the paper. We, we've been on the front page. If you've been seeing it recently, it, history has been made in our nation. China has never paid a product liability suit ever in the history of U.S. relations until just this year. Until just this year. Unbelievable what we've been through together as a family. So I'm just, I'm going to give you another number tonight because I just want to put glory in the story, right? So tonight we put in the offering basket a check for $25,000 for the 2020 vision. For 20, right? And so I'm telling you that number because as I was praying today, this is what I felt like God asked me. Fred, if, if in 2007 when you were in Mechanicsville and you were praying about coming, I wrote out everything that was going to happen to you over these next several years, would you have still gone? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely I would have still gone, right? Because I would have known the end of the story. 
right? And so I begin to kind of think that, that, uh, that, that we're going to end up in a better house than we ever thought we could ever have, right? We're going to be able to do some things by way of generosity that we never thought we would ever do in our lifetime. Are you tracking with me? Yeah, my health is a little bit compromised, but I'm two years away from 50 anyway, so right? Yeah, all right. And that list can keep going. That list can keep going. Of course we would have came, but I would not have wanted it to be that way because we would not have been the same people. Because the greatest prize that we have gathered on this journey is the faith that he has put into our hearts. And so when, you, when we're in situations, and I'm telling you, we've earned the right to say some things because of how we have suffered for the kids. Some of your story is worse, but most of it is not. Most of it is not. That God builds a faith in us in those kinds of journeys that could never happen any other way. And sometimes we say, God, why didn't you just, I, why can't you tell me? Because if he tells us, where's the faith in that? There, there's, there has to be in our human experience the feeling that we're going to go under. There has to be that feeling. Because if there's not that feeling, then we never experience the glory of God who comes in the midst of our desperation. If we don't ever allow ourselves to be in a place where we can weep until we weep no more, then the glory of the story that God is trying to write will never come, and that's the prize. David and the Amalekites. Verses 9 through 10. So David and his 600 men, they set out. And they came to the brook of Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross. They were just too tired. They had prepared for battle. They traveled three days out for war. They had traveled three days back for war. They've just wept. They've, 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 they're, they're facing the, just the grief of having lost everything. And 200 of his men, they just lose heart. They, they can't go any farther. They're too exhausted to cross the book. So David continued in pursuit with 400 men. Now I'm going to skip down for the sake of time to verse 16. They found somebody that the Amalekites had left behind, and David asked him, they said, we'll, we'll save you, we won't kill you if you'll show us where they are. And so he said, that sounds like a good deal to me. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the field, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder that they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. And David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them like the movie Braveheart. You with me? Throughout that night, the entire next day, until the next evening. 24 hours straight, they're just laying the sword to people. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything, everything, the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. The implication there, too, is that everybody else got all of their family in return. Nothing was missing, verse 19 says. Look at this. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He brought everything back, not just what was plundered from his city, but they brought everything back that had been plundered from every city that they had conquered. 
He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and all his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook of Basor, and they met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. And they went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers, right, said, they, don't, they didn't go with us. So they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Give them their wives and their children and tell them to be gone. David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and we share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. And from then on, David made this decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. And then the story goes on to say that when David got back, that he began to send portions of the wealth that had been taken from all the other cities so that they could be restored. And so that everybody ends up restored in the end. But David, he was restored above and beyond because that is the favor of God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So why am I ending with that part of the story? Because when when David got to the brook of Basor, 200 of the people that were with him could not go any farther. They couldn't, but 400 could. So there, there were those who could not, and there were those who did. There were only two groups of people. And this is part of why I feel like God's given us this text for our church for this season that we're in. There were those who could not, and there were those who did. There was not a third group of people. See, of the 400 that could, none of them said, even though I can, I won't. Not one of them. Not one. There were those who couldn't, and there were those who did. Everybody who could, they went forward for the rescue. This campus that we're planning on the south side We've been working on this budget. We talked about it at the business meeting. We've shared it with you. It's, it's $210,000 to plant this campus. We believe that the church is going to be able to put 60 of that on the table by the end of the year. That leaves 150 that needs to be raised. 75,000 of that has been pledged by the leaders of the church and by some of you that have already filled out a 2020 vision card, but that's just halfway. The only way we're going to get all the way to the 150 is if everybody who can does. There are people in our church who can't, and that's okay. That's why this story is so powerful for us. There are people in situations and circumstances where they can't, and that's okay. But those of us who can must. All of us who are able, we must do the part that God is enabling us to do. And you might say to me, Fred, that's easy for you to say right now because of what you're walking through. And what I would say to you is that over the last five years, we gave when we had nothing when God spoke to us. And it's because we were faithful then that I believe that we're walking in his favor now. And so for some of you, you're walking in God's favor now. You might not be able to do what's happened to us, but you can do something dramatic. And then for all the rest of you who can do something, you must do what you're able to do, that God is speaking to you to do. And when that campus gets planted, all of you who can't, you're going to celebrate with us 
and that victory as if you were the biggest giver in the whole church because we all share in the victory together. Stand with me as we worship. Father, we thank you for this moment of celebration that we're about ready to step in together as a church. Father, I thank you for our story, what you have done in our hearts. And so I also thank you tonight for the story of every person in this room, that there is a destiny that's going to be fulfilled. And if right now they're in a season of suffering, that there is a restoration that is beyond what's been lost, that's your promise. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name.